Hilton Hotels is a world-renowned, award-winning hotel chain known for their first-class amenities, authentic hospitality, and top-of-the-line commitment to your comfortable stay. The name Hilton has become synonymous with hotel. But did you know about Hilton's commitment to our military and its veterans? Did you? I didn't. To be honest, before this relationship unfolded, I did not know. Through Operation Opportunity, whose motto is, Our Mission is Your Success, Hilton Hotels has been able to hire 30,000 veterans, military spouses, and dependents since 2013 with a commitment to hire 25,000, that's right, 25,000 more by the end of 2025. Wow, wow, wow. What a commitment. To learn more about Hilton's military programs, check out Operation Opportunity at jobs.hilton.com backslash military guys i'll be the first to tell you staying in the hatchback uh sleeping on the road scion tc starving artist that might have looked cool cramp my style massively i definitely appreciate having an award-winning breakfast high-speed internet and a comfortable bed it makes my job so much easier with the already stressful work that these projects are blessed uh, that I get to do them, but it is hard work. So I'm thankful for Hilton. I appreciate them a lot. Go check out Operation Opportunity, jobs.hilton.com backslash military. Check it out. Hello, everyone. Tim Kay here, host of the Veterans Project podcast, founder of the Veterans Project and founder of the Caregiver Project as well, to talk to you about a very close friend and Red Friday partner of ours, the Mississippi Coffee Lady. Joy Rogers is a Starkville native, Marine Corps officer's wife, and is the founder of the Mississippi Coffee Lady. She is a talented roaster who also loves our troops and caregivers and understands the importance of sharing our legacies. Now, Joy knows without capturing those legacies, we lose the importance of our men and women who so bravely served overseas and on the home front. So, if you buy a bag of her artisan roasts on Red Friday, she gives every single penny to the projects. That's right. Every bit of that sale goes to the projects and ensures our lives and legacies are never forgotten. Now, I brought up the importance time and time again of hashtag one person. It takes one person realizing the importance of both the Veterans Project and the Caregiver Project to create a positive impact in our storytelling community. When you get behind our cause and purchase a bag of coffee on Friday, you benefit the project. It's simple as that. And she's doing a giveaway every Friday as well. Simply share your favorite project from the Veterans Project and the Caregiver Project via Instagram or our Facebook, and you have a chance to win a bag of her beautifully handcrafted roasts. So what do you say? Just head over to the MississippiCoffeeLady.com on Red Friday, buy a bag, and support the project. Easy as that. Our next guest is the president of the Criss Crossing Foundation, which was named in loving memory after United States Army Staff Sergeant Chris Kiernan, who lost his life serving his country in Iraq. His loving wife, Donna Kiernan Carter, created the Criss Crossing Foundation in aims of helping those who have also lost a loved one in the line of duty. Now, how does she do this? through equine activities, and that's what the Criss Crossing Foundation is all about. The foundation is a nonprofit 501c3 organization that relies solely on the generosity of its supporters to host horseback riding workshops for wounded warriors and families that have lost loved ones that were serving in the United States military and family members of fallen first responders. They have horses of varying personalities to accommodate various experience levels of the riders and to ensure they can provide a good match for each rider. So important. 
On the podcast, we discussed everything from Donna's childhood in Lake Charles to the moment she met Chris to his tragic loss of life and her search for resilience in the midst of a storm. Donna's path has led her to a place of healing help for others, and I know that you are going to be absolutely blown away by her story. But I've already said plenty. Here she is, the one and only Donna Kiernan Carter. The Veterans Project is a comprehensive essay capturing the legacies of our warfighters, caregivers, and civilians who have stepped forward in defense of our patriotic principles in an effort to capture their stories and to never forget the staggering sacrifices of our nation's finest. This is the Veterans Project Podcast, where our legacies are the mission. Here's your host, Tim Kay. Finally. Let's get this party started. (laughs) That's a cool way too long from my side. <laughs> we'll get it right eventually. Donna, well, welcome to the Veterans Project Podcast. Alongside me, I've got Donna Kiernan, uh, Gold Star wife uh, to the husband Chris, uh, an incredible man, warrior, uh, who I'm sure she misses greatly. Uh, but through the preservation of uh, her work um, in what she's doing in equine therapy, she's created an incredible format to honor his legacy. And Donna, I just wanted to say thank you for doing that. Thank you. Donna, can you take me back? You know, with this podcast, we go back in life and talk a little bit about where you came from and kind of what led your path to where you are now. Do you mind telling me a little bit about growing up and what that was like for you in Lake Charles, right? Yes, it was great growing up in the South. Everyone is so friendly and everyone is considered family. And it was great growing up on the Gulf of Mexico, always surrounded by water. And that was just the life, seafood, fishing, the beach. It, it was it was great. What do you remember about your parents? And what do you remember about life as a youngster in Lake Charles? Well, my parents were involved in everything with us. My brothers with Boy Scouts, me with Girl Scouts, football, baseball. Our parents were very supportive of us. And when did you move to Texas? When was that? Well, I moved to Texas in 1995 and worked at Fort Hood as a Department of Defense contractor. And was there at Fort Hood until 2008. So how did you meet Chris? I met Chris at a Collective Soul concert at Fort Hood. A Collective Soul. (laughs) All right. (laughs) That's a cool way to meet somebody. It was. It was fun. We went right up into the front and we had a blast. And then from that time on, we, we were never apart. What was it about Chris that really attracted you to him? What what pulled you in? What was his draw? <laughs> well, first it was his eyes. He has the longest eyelashes I've ever seen. But he was just fun. Yeah. And smiling and jolly and wanted to have a good time. And he, he that's what pulled me in was his aura of being happy. Yeah. What do you remember about the early years of your... What, what do you remember about your wedding day? What was that like? Oh, that was... You know, I was not nervous at all. Neither one of us were. Everybody else was nervous. <laughs> <laughs> um, we had a huge military wedding in yeah. Lake Charles, and everything went perfect. It was a perfect day. 
you guys got married in Lake Charles, correct? We and then did. You moved, and then you stayed on Fort Hood. Yes, we lived at Fort Hood. Okay, and when did he get deployed? He was on his second deployment to Iraq. Okay. Um, so he'd he, already been deployed. He'd already been there. Yes. Did, did that? Did you notice? Did Did he talk about that first deployment at all? He did, but the thing about Chris was Chris was a warrior, and he left the war at at the war. Yeah. You know, he didn't bring it home with him. He wasn't afraid of packages on the side of the road or you know little certain things that set people off. He just, he wasn't. He wasn't afraid of that, and he separated it. And that was what was good about it. Is I looked for all the signs when he came home the first time, but they just weren't there. Yeah. He, so you were with him on his first appointment then. Yes. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. gotcha. And then he deployed again October the 14th, uh, 2007, and May the 6th, 2008. I'm sorry, he deployed October 14th, 2006. Okay. And on 5 6 7, May the 6th, 2007, he was killed in action. So, but he went, but he went over in October. So what do you remember about the months leading up to that? Did you guys write back and forth or did you have Skype or what was, what was that like? Well, before he deployed in October, we did a lot. We went to the beach. We got a group together. A bunch of us went to the beach. We were making memories before the whole group deployed. The soldiers that he served with were always at our house. They called me mama. um you You were their mama yeah yeah chris kind of he attracted the younger ones i mean they just they gravitated to chris because he was a big guy and he they felt safe around him Mm -hmm. and they gravitated to us and they were always at our house but um it was great and several of them had lived with us from time to time but you know, I just remember Thanksgiving and things like that prior to that deployment, but they were always at our house, yeah. no matter what, whatever holiday it was, we took them all in and, you know, they, they had Christmas with us or Thanksgiving with us. And he was very well liked and he was looked up to yeah. by many. What was one of your most pleasant memories with Chris uh, before he deployed? Before he deployed, we were on the beach one morning and we had our dogs out there and they were running up and down the beach and there was nobody else on the beach. It was just us. And it was like really early. And I just looked at him. I said, you know what? This is one of those moments Mm -hmm. that's really a good moment. He goes, you know what? It sure is. And, you know, the sun was coming up and it was just quiet and it was just us and our dogs out there. And I just remember that as being a really good moment. And then when we were with the big group, you know, that we had went with, we were all out on the patio, you know, everybody talking and laughing and cutting up. And those guys knew they were getting ready to leave in two weeks. Yeah. You know, they knew it was time for to go, but we they're just made the war. best of it. They're going to war. Yeah. That's their thing. Yeah. <laughs> and Chris was armor, right? He was armor. Did he yes. love being armor? He loved it. <laughs> what did he love about it most? He liked to blow things up in his tank. <laughs> <laughs> you want to blow things you up in his blow tank. Things up. <laughs> love that tank. Like most men. <laughs> he had this inner desire to blow things up. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So he uh when uh he went over there, what do you what do you remember leading up to that day? What do you remember about some of the best thing, you know, as far as some of the best things about your marriage? What do you enjoy most about being married to him? Our I know families, that's probably a pretty broad question, but But you know, the the cool thing was our families got along. His family was um from 
from Virginia Beach. Okay. And my family's from Lake Charles. And every time they all met up, everybody had a great time. And we had a good marriage because we had, you know, both of our families were, we still had our mom and dads were together. And we we're both Catholic families. And we had so much support from our families. Yeah. And especially during deployments. It was tough. And they supported him and the soldiers that he served with. One team, one fight. That's it. Yeah. And let me tell you, the people that donated money to us to send them things at Christmas, every soldier in the company, not platoons, but in the company, Delta Company, had something for Christmas. Wow. And I remember the bill just to mail those packages <laughs> was $1,400 just to mail those packages. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And he called me and every... Every one of them got a remote control race car, and, you can hear, <laughs> and he goes, "Listen to this." And he he called me from Iraq, and he and and you could hear the the race cars going up and down the hallways. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Because every boy had a toy. How important do you think that is that network and that community? Um, you know, being able to have that back at home. How important is that as a as a spouse of a soldier? It's very important. And sometimes some of it, just in the military community, sometimes it can be nonsense. And, and, but for the most part, it's very valuable because we have each other. You know, it's just the things that people can bring to a phone call with their soldier don't really need to be talked about. And, you know, we have to be supportive and we have to be self-sustained back home and take care of ourselves and take care of our kids and everything that's going on and we can't worry them with little things. Right. And so sometimes that would just ride on me a little bit <laughs> because they wanted to talk about every little thing going wrong. And I'm like, no, 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 please don't bring all this stuff up to right. them. You know, imagine where they're at. Imagine what they're doing. They don't need to be wor worrying about small things. We got this. I saw that when I was overseas, you know, when I was in Iraq, I remember guys like being stressed out about their wife at home or, you know, I mean, of course, you know, it was a problem if there was, you know, another guy around or something, you yes. know, like there were those yes. problems or those kind of, uh, there are those kind of woman problems and those are a whole other thing, but you know, just the little things like the bills and, you know, and, and issues with that. And like, I could see the guys in very supportive units back at home. And obviously I was an infantry unit, so only dealt with guys, but the you know having that supportive home unit i mean it totally changed a guy's morale it absolutely does and that is it you said it morale mm -hmm. and whenever they hear about all the loose ends everywhere their morale is very low and yeah. it can't be because they have to have each other's back yeah right and morale is everything in war when you lose that you lose a war it I is mean. so what do you remember? Who do you remember as being some of the most uh, supportive people while you were while while he was deployed? I would say that the most supportive people were my family and his family, and then also you know the family readiness groups. They were they were supportive. What you have to keep in mind too is is what we just talked about. It's morale over there, and so sometimes the older because I am older than some of the younger ones. Um, <laughs> you know, we had to talk to them. Yeah. And ask them to please keep some of these things, you know, on this side of the phone line. Right. Um, because uh, things get bad and they have to have their mind in that fight. 
and not about a water faucet breaking. <laughs> that's probably and that and that's probably harder, you know, in those you know early years of marriage where your maturity's not quite there and you haven't developed that. And so you, as the older wives, not the old, ma- old, mature. the more mature wives, yes, yes. <laughs> the more mature wives, you're able to kind of mentor those younger wives, exactly. the wives who haven't been at it as long. Exactly, and and the thing about it is, is it works the other way too. Whenever you're a widow, whenever your soldier doesn't come home, the more mature wives end up mentoring the younger ones. Yeah, so it goes on both sides. Yeah, wow. So, what do you remember uh, leading up to that day? Do you remember anything specifically? Anything you know, kind of unique about those days leading up to when you found out, when you got that information? It's kind of vague, but the odd thing was the night before I was advised, I was at the home of a full bar colonel. His wife and I were friends. And actually, all of the wives there were commander's wives. And my husband's a staff sergeant. (laughs) So I asked them, I said, what is it like for you to go to the gold ring families? Who are these gold ring families? And they said, no, it's gold star families. Little did I know the next day I'd be a gold star family. Wow. Wow. So the night before, you know, we were at, at her house and we were just socializing and talking about the funerals they went to and their husband's commands. And then the next morning I got a knock on the door. Yeah. Do you, what do you remember about that, about that moment? What's that feeling? You know, I think it's important for people to know, to, to hear that, what that was like for you. Well, it was a really hard knock on the door. It was around 10 a.m. So I thought it was the kids down the street coming over to ask if they could walk my dog. Yeah. Even my dog didn't bark, which was odd. Hmm. So I looked out the window and I saw him standing there. Yeah. And I froze. Yeah. And then I opened the door. Take your time. And I told him they couldn't come in. Yeah. I told him it was a mistake. said there's so many soldiers that have lived here at this house they used our address you have the wrong house you have to go yeah. but they came in and they just kept coming at me yeah. my, my back was up against the wall mm. and I, I screamed at them no yeah. and then they started to tell me how on behalf of a grateful nation but they regretted to inform me, and I just kept screaming, no, you have the wrong place, you have the wrong name. And they said his name. Yeah. I don't know how, you know, you do that job, and I don't know. I don't know how they do that job either. But I know they were crying just as hard as I was. The support you had to feel in that moment probably meant a lot. Knowing that they couldn't, you know, that, that, that it hurt them too. That yeah, they, I could see the look on their face. They did not want to be there. Yeah, yeah. And then it started. Making decisions. Yeah. Calling people. How do you, how did you move on from that, you know, from that moment? I mean, there's obviously no getting over that. You can't. You no. Know, losing, losing a warrior. You know, losing your husband, you know, the man you love the most. 
um, you know, how do you move past that? How do you? One do you, day at a time. Yeah. What did you decide? What were the conscious decisions you made after that to, to continue on? Because that is hard. I mean, I can't imagine, you know. Yeah, I, you have to you have to do something with all their clothes and shoes and you have to decide where to bury them and what to put on the headstone and you, you have to make a whole lot of decisions and I didn't want to, yeah. uh, but I did and I had a lot of support from family and friends. How important was that network after Chris? It was everything. Yeah. Yes, it was, it was, it's how I could keep going and, for probably a good six years after he was he was killed, I, I was just in darkness. Yeah. I didn't want to socialize. I didn't want to go anywhere, talk to anybody. I just slept a lot. Yeah. Who was the most supportive during that time? Who who really did did people come out and come here to or go to Fort Hood to be around you or did you go back to Lake Charles for a bit or I did both but mostly just stayed home but people would come to see me but I just really wanted to be alone yeah I didn't really want to socialize very much yeah I did go back to Virginia to see his parents yeah a couple of times how were they handling it what was very hard very hard yeah very hard yeah Still very supportive of me. And to this day, 12 years later, I still talk to them. and His sister, a brother, his mom. Yeah. We stay in touch. I mean, you can never cut that family tie, you know? That's never. Something that'll never end. Never want to. Yeah. It's powerful. So, you know, you, you had the six difficult, you know, years. And obviously it's still difficult, but those six years were really tough. What what kind of pulled you out of that hole? How did you get out of that? And how, how did you move on from that? I think leading up to it was um, being involved with um, survivor groups. So there's survivor outreach services. There's TAPS. Um, these are all groups um, that are made up just of survivors. So it doesn't matter if it was killed in action, died after action, or suicide. We all have the same loss. And those groups helped me a lot. Although I have drifted away from them somewhat, um, I do go back from time to time. Uh, another thing that, that kind of helped me um, get get back to life, I guess, and, and socialize a little bit more were support of my friends. And they're urging me to to not stop living because Chris wouldn't want that. Right. And so one year I bought a horse <laughs> <laughs> on the anniversary of his death, May the 6th, That's I a bought a decision. horse. <laughs> I did. Yeah. What, what, what led up to that decision? Why did you just say, well, I moved I away. <laughs> I moved away from Fort Hood and I bought five acres and um, had a barn build a, a barn dominium, if you will. And uh, I live in the barn in an apartment in it and I uh, had stalls built and I had two donkeys. Well, then I decided I wanted a horse. 
And now I have seven of them. (laughs) (laughs) One turned into seven, as it often does with animals. Well, it's hard to say no when you want all of them. Right. (laughs) At one time, I had nine horses, so now I have seven. Um, But that really helped me. Um, The first horse that I had, three months later, I had a second horse. Mm. And about three months later after that, I had another Wow. So I know I can't ride all of them, but um, <laughs> it happened fast. They needed homes. They needed homes, and your home was right. <laughs> yeah. And I had the land and I had the place to put them. And yeah. I was so excited to have horses. And since then, I think a lot of my time is absorbed by horses. Almost everything I do revolves around horses, except my full time job. But yes, I uh, love horses. They've done a lot for me. And I wanted to share with the other survivors that I know. I wanted to share what horses did for me. I want to share that with them. That's special. Yeah. That, uh, what do you think the element is about? Because I, I hear that kind of connecting factor. And a lot of these veterans are now starting, you know, equine therapy programs for other veterans. Uh, I know quite a, I know a few of them, including. Uh, Heroes for Horses and groups like that that really help veterans transition out. And and I think there's kind of an element with horses where you have to really work to earn their trust. They're not dogs, you know, like a dog will like just kind of stupidly run up to you. <laughs> like you could be a killer hey. and it would like love you, you know, like, hey, <laughs> yeah, hey, 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 what's up? You know, happy, always happy, most of them. And uh, they, they just have this element of trust that comes so quickly, but horses are different, right? Exactly. And a horse can be so skittish and yet you work with them enough and you can have them join up with you. And it's this process And it's pretty neat when it happens, when you work with a horse long enough, and then if you're out in the pasture and you're lunging them and you're exercising them and the horse stops Mm -hmm. and it walks up to you and you turn your back to that horse and that horse will walk up to you and put its head on your shoulder. (laughs) It's called matching up. Okay. And um, that's happened for me several times and I really didn't even know what was why they did it i'm like what's going on here i don't know why this horse is doing this but the matching up process is you've built their trust and they trust you and they're giving in basically yeah giving in so that was this kind of the start of the healing process for you then getting to spend time with these with these beautiful animals Yes. And then one day I was at the Survivor Outreach Services Center at Fort Sam Houston. And I started talking to the leadership there and explaining to them that I had these horses and I wanted to share with the others what these horses did for me. So I had decided to have an event where we would have the Gold Star families invited over and we would have horseback riding for them. And that was six years ago. Wow. And every year I have... But what led, what, what led up to that decision? Why did you decide that you wanted to do that? Just for what the horses did for me. Yeah. And a healing process. And, and it helped me have patience and to learn how to teach a 1,200-pound animal uh, how to bow and how to um, do so many different things uh, that I've taught my horses to do and that they learn for me and they do what I want them to do. Well, not all the time, but most of the time. <laughs> uh, 
that's part of that trust process, right? Like building that, they don't always do the Gosh. thing that you want them to do. <laughs> no, yeah. but they're just so beautiful and majestic. And when I'm exercising my horses, I just look at them and go, wow, this horse trusts me. Yeah. And that process is pretty special. It is. The joining up is special when it finally happens. Whenever you teach a horse something and they forget and then they have to help them relearn some processes. I'm not outside every day riding a horse, Yeah. um, but I deal with them every single day. Yeah. Um, Interact with them every single day. What do you think, uh, you know, when you started this, you know, the foundation up, what was the, what was the beginning goal for that? Was it, was it what it is now or did that kind of transform as you went along? Well, it started with Survivor Kids Day and that's a one, once a year event and it's huge. I mean, we probably have a good 200 people here. Another thing that happens is throughout the year, I'll, on social media and stuff like that, I'll look and, and see someone who might be struggling, another survivor, and I'll invite them to come over. Okay. So in uh, my barn dominium is a guest house at Sleep Six. Oh, wow. And, and I'll invite them to come over and have a weekend here. And it's no cost to them because we're a nonprofit foundation and we have such awesome donors um, that nothing comes out of their pocket or my pocket. Wow. Um, so we have, um, we're a 501c3 nonprofit organization and I'm able to do things like that. So um, I remember this past Easter, the Saturday before Easter, we had about 18 kids here. Wow. Survivor kids. And they came and rode horses and they did Easter egg hunt and decorated horseshoes and did all kinds of things. And this wasn't the big event. I mean, they also come to the big event every year. And I know these kids ask throughout the year, when's it going to be time to go back to crisscrossing? And so this Easter, um, we called it Easter horse play day. And that was just for the day. Um, that wasn't a weekend or anything, but I do see some some of the surviving spouses struggle quite a bit. Um, some of them actually want to take their own lives. Yeah. And they have children. Wow. And in some cases, there's no one to help them with these children. So the children are attached to them all the time. Wow. And they don't have a spouse to help them. Jeez. So um, this gives them a break. Mm-hmm. And um, whenever they get here with their kids, we take the kids by the hand and we keep them busy all day. Yeah, wow. And their survivor spouse can rest or have some time off or read a book or whatever she wants to do. Right. So we do that. Um, you know, every month there's something going on here. Wow. Do you do you ever have a moment where you stop and you just stare and you think, "This is so awesome." Like I'm, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I I stop and I have those moments and I think, what could we do better? Wow! And I, I I never stop and say this is so awesome. I I just stop and think, what could we do better? What could we do to reach more people? And I have had some veterans come here that have PTSD. We've had some reunions here of warriors that served even in Bosnia together. Um, they had a reunion here. One of them's going to get married here. Oh, cool. Wow. Yeah. So um, that's pretty special. Yes, it is. Uh, and um, they pay for nothing when they come here because we just have these donors that are so awesome and they really support their surviving kids. Mm-hmm. 
and the surviving gold star families. And so that's why we're able to do such awesome things with them and and to no cost to them. So they love coming here and I love that they love coming here. (laughs) We need that network. Don't, don't we though? Yes. How important is that? Just the the ability for you to do what you do, right? You have the idea, you know, it's like anything, you know, you're starting a business, you're starting a nonprofit, Uh, but especially in this community, you know, where you want to start, that's a big venture. You know, what you're doing is a big deal to have the backers to, they propel your ability to do that. And without that network, you couldn't have this. I know. And I feel like all the time I'm saying, thank you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for your donation. Thank you. And and I don't, and I love it. Yeah. Love doing that. And it's helped me to heal by, we, we just recently had our annual event and children come up to me and say, thank you so much for doing this for us. Wow. And they've been coming here for the past six years. And I think, you know, being able to look at that child and look in their eyes and see their, you know, them, them, you know, having experienced all that loss that they've experienced, right? Because that's, exactly. uh, that's got to be traumatizing beyond all measure. And I've seen it very often at these, uh, you know, other camps I've gone to. I did one uh, out in Wyoming in Jackson Hole and it was all special forces families, but it was the kids had lost those dads. And that, that experience for them was traumatizing. You could see a lot of issues in the family and, and the struggle there without the father all of a sudden being gone, the shock and awe of that. So what, what's that like for you and getting to see those kids happy in the moment? All of them are happy. You don't see any kids crying or, or whining about anything. They're very happy to be around the horses. They love the horses. Uh, we have extra horses brought in for the annual Kids Day event. So kids, they get off of one horse and get on another horse. And they want to take pictures with them and they want to give them carrots. And, you know, they want to pet the horses and brush them down. And it, it's just really good therapy for these kids and because they don't have a phone in their hand and they're not playing a game. They're outside <laughs> and they're dealing with these horses and they love them. Do you lock up the phones? <laughs> No, no, we don't look up. The, <laughs> they put them down, actually, and they don't wow. even ask it's for them. It's just natural, huh? Yes, and yeah. they, they love being out with the other animals. We have goats and miniature horse and donkey, and they go over and pet them. And we have llamas and alpacas here. And we even have these cowboys that come in there from Hill Country Productions, and they do these, they teach the kids how to rope, and they teach wow. them how to brand. Wow. Yes, they brand some leather. Okay. This year we did some uh, Christmas ornaments that they branded. That's so cool. Yeah, so um, it is pretty pretty special and to see them all interact with each other because you have kids here that lost their parent to combat. Uh, some are combat related after they come home. Uh, some are suicide. Yeah. And they all get together and, and they really don't talk about it with each other. They're just more interested in which horse can I ride next? You know, that's so interesting because at that camp that I went to that I was talking about in Wyoming, it was the same thing. I never, I don't, I don't think I heard one soldier's name mentioned like the entire time I was there. No, but I can tell you one thing. Wow. There's a whole bunch of dads that are looking down from heaven, <laughs> watching over this and lo- and saying, look at all these people who care about my kids. Yes, yes, yeah. And that's, I mean, what I was getting to is that's such an amazing thing, like for to be able to come together and find camaraderie in the community and yet celebrate the life through not even talking about it, but just enjoying the presence of each other. You yes. Know? And that community. I mean, you know, you know how it is in the military, like community is everything and having that connection, you know, whether it's family, 
or FRG, you know, the support, different support groups now, you know, you see this, your support group is these kids. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So, so you have a support group on both sides. It's, it's for the active duty soldiers and the ones who have died yeah. and we have support on both sides. But when these kids come over here and they interact with the animals, you can't get their mind on anything else. And a lot of them just don't want to leave. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Do you, do you and Chris, did you and Chris have any children? We did not. Did not. What, so did you have that desire before or no? Or were you kind of set on just, you know? Oh, no. We we had uh, two, two? And, and, and lost both of them. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. Sometimes I don't understand these this cards that I've been dealt, but that's Adding okay. some extra degrees to the element of difficulty. <laughs> yes. Go wow. ahead. I'll throw the cards back at you. Yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine. You know what? What do you? What have you wanted to pass on the most when you're when you're teaching these uh, children at this camp? You know, what what do you want to teach them the most uh, during that time? What's the most important thing for you to impart on them? I think it's patience. Ooh, I gotta learn that one. Kids, <laughs> well, you know, kids these days want everything to happen within thirty minutes, yeah, or you know, just seconds, and it's just not going to be that way. And they have to understand that they're dealing with a big, you know, twelve hundred, fifteen hundred pound animal, and you can't get on it and ride real fast. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that you need to learn first. So first of all, they learn patience. And then they learn they might not just know everything they think they know. <laughs> and then when you start to teach them yeah. about the horse, and they see the horse doing what they're teaching them to do, they're just amazed with it. And then that's all they want to do is, I want a horse now. Mm. I want to ride horses. <laughs> what, what What's the hardest thing uh, in dealing with horses and kids? Patience. Yeah, it goes Both. back to patience, huh? It does, yeah. because... Kids these days want everything right now, real fast. A mm-hmm. uh, thirty-minute program, you know, they they can they'll stay concentrated on a thirty-minute program, but then after that, you know, they lose patience and it's like, what's next? Well, no, you yeah. you see them tap a cell phone if they don't get something right away on their cell phone, they keep tapping and tapping it, you know. So they can't have everything really fast right, right away. You have to you have to stop. You have to learn. You have to listen, mm-hmm. and. A lot of times I have to remind them, okay, you have to listen because this big old horse can kick you and I'm going to show you how he cannot kick you. Okay, show me. And so we teach them just a little bit at a time and a little bit more. And um, so right when they get here, not everything about is about getting on a horse right away and riding it. They have to brush them down. Mm. Um, They have to learn their name. And then they also learn a little about a little bit about that personality of that horse yeah. and they all have different personalities. So what's kind of cool is whenever they get on a different horse, they say, tell me what this horse's name is. And I say, this horse's name is Stormy and he likes you to sing to him. <laughs> I don't know any songs. I'm like, yes, let's sing a song together. So, you know, walk him on a horse singing a song. Yeah. <laughs> and the parent is just, in the background just shaking their head going i can't believe this <laughs> there's something special about the about the horse that that teaching element you know and you really have to pay attention oh yes uh with those animals because Absolutely. if you don't you just you you won't learn anything and and they do learn so much and and whenever they leave they go and tell each horse goodbye <laughs> and they re- I don't know how they do it, but they remember their names and everything, and they go tell them goodbye and that they'll see them again soon. Mm-hmm. Are there are there certain breeds that deal better with children, and, and or is it 
or how do you choose, you know, which horses you want around the kids? Well, the horse is going to learn to be around kids. Now I have one horse who's actually, um, a retired horse from the first cavalry division horse detachment. Oh, cool. And, um, he is not going to be around kids. Okay. So I can tell after he's been around here for a few years and working with him and, you know, he's joined up with me and everything and, and, but he's just not a horse for kids. He takes an advanced rider. Mm -hmm. Um, he's very skittish. And he wants to ride with other horses. Yeah. So you can tell the characteristics of the horse, if they're going to work well with the child or not. So mm. I have seven horses and two of them stay locked up. Okay. During that time period. Oh, interesting. But we have other horses brought in. So we'll have anywhere from 14, 15 horses uh, for the kids to ride. And we had, I uh, believe it was 48 Gold Star kids here. Jeez. Um, plus, you know, a parent, the grandparents come. Sometimes the parent, um, the surviving widow, she'll bring a, a, a friend to help. Yeah. Um, so um, we we had about 80, I can't remember, so like 88, 89, 90 gold stars here. Wow. The, the community is so massive here in San Antonio, in the area. It's it's massive. It's a military town. Yeah. I mean, military city USA. But I, I was talking to, you know, a friend of mine, and she was telling me, you know, there are like 500 Gold Star families in San Antonio. I was just... It almost um, hurt me to hear that. Yeah. Because you don't want to think about how many families have suffered. Well, if you live in a place like the Fort Hood area... It yeah. took me approximately 11 months to leave that area after Chris was killed. And it's not a place that you can stay because the whole community of Colleen and the surrounding area is just military, constant, you know, whereas right. in San Antonio, you have the metropolitan area, but you still have that comfort of having some military around Yeah, because you're used to it. Yeah, yeah. The support system's still there, but you yes. don't have to be surrounded by the uniform all the time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember growing up, you know, as a kid, my dad was Air Force. Uh, he was in for eight or 10 years. And, you know, we, that's how we came to San Antonio was through the Air Force. You know, he met my mom in Tucson at, when he was at Davis Monthan Air Force Base. And they moved to San Antonio. And I remember just, even from a young age, like, I just I just got it. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't even my dad having been in the Air Force. It was just, like, the whole community, like, understood. Exactly. And that respect level was, like, something special that I saw, you know, when I got back from Iraq. I realized how important that was. Um, you know, you just, you don't have too much ignorance, you know? No, and, and even for Crisscrossing Foundation, we have a board of directors, and the board of directors helps with everything, but the... The amount of people who offer to volunteer and who actually come here to volunteer have nothing to do with the military, but wow. they want to come over here and support. So for every Gold Star family member we have here, we have a volunteer. Wow. That's a lot. It is. It's a <laughs> lot. a lot of volunteers. It's a lot, but yeah. every, every kid that's here has their hand taken by a volunteer and they take off with that kid and, and, and that kid stays busy all day. Wow. You know, I was able to, uh, I think it was uh, in the summer, uh, I got contacted by uh, Colt McCoy and his wife. Uh, they were doing a, you know, a football camp in in Austin, and they wanted to have 
Gold Star Kids. Wow. And so they contacted me and they said, well, Tim, Nate Boyer tells us you're the guy for South Texas, so find some Gold Star. And I th- I mean, I think I found 50 families in like three or four days. Yeah. And like filled up the camp. I was like, oh, I got you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it won't wow. be a challenge. You know, like just because the area is so, there's so much military and so many families. But how quickly I found them kind of, kind of bothered me a little bit. Because <laughs> I'm like... <laughs> Oh my gosh, you know, you There's don't, a lot. and that's the thing, you know, Donna is like, it's, it's hard on the soldiers, you know, it's hard on me, like stepping back into this world was tough because it's like when we leave and, you know, lose guys or our brothers, we kind of, you know, we, we just kind of just want to be away from it, you know, it's exactly. hard to come. and then to like invite yourself back in is tough because it's like, well, now I've got to stare this in the face and like, Yes, it was it was already sad. I don't want to think about it. And then exactly. you're there staring in the face through their spouse, you know, and and that legacy. But it's so important. It is. Can you imagine the how important it is to that soldier who fell and who's no longer with us? Just the spirit of of his being, the spirit of 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 their family mm-hmm. being taken care of. Yeah, you know that. I th- I believe that's so important, and I've always said there's a whole bunch of dads looking down today, saying, "Look at all these people who care about my kids." Yeah. Do you have contact with any of these guys still? Do you still talk to any of Chris's? All or, the yeah, time. All the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. In fact, there was just uh, one over here staying in the guest house two weeks ago, and wow. another one about a week before that. Cool. So, you know, they're always here. That probably feels pretty <laughs> special, though. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it does. It's a community that never leaves you, and those guys will never forget Chris. Never. Uh, what were you know? What were you, the initial moments like after, as far as your feelings, you know, towards towards the war and you know towards Iraq? <laughs> you just gave me that eye roll. <laughs> <laughs> we, you knew we were going to get into this, though. Um, well, Tim, I know you don't have all day. <laughs> we can go as long as you want. You got the call at seven. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a lot of research. I've I've read books. I've uh, read a book by Bob Woodward. Woodard, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I. I think that the war war in Iraq um, was unnecessary. Mm. Uh, you know, after it's it's over now. I mean, you look back on it, and and um, I think that the reason for the war in Iraq was because of nine eleven, and 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 it really didn't have anything to do with the other. Yeah. Um, I, I'm very angry about the war in Iraq. Yeah. What do you what do you do, you know, what have you done since, you know, to kind of have you spoken about it? Have you talked to anyone about that, you know, and kind of how you felt? I actually tried to get on the calendar for George Bush, um but that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to talk to George Bush about it. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely would. What would you tell him if you could talk to him? Wow. <laughs> deep question <laughs> because there's deep a, question. I don't know yeah. if uh, a whole bunch of things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm sure. That's tough. I mean, you know, and, and I can't imagine, you know, everybody tells me it's like, you know, there's so many differences of opinion, even as soldiers, you know, as far as guys that agree with it, guys that don't agree with it. And our thing is just to go fight the mission that our government gives us. Yes, exactly. And so, you know, I have people from all different walks, you know, I have spouses that couldn't stay in the war, I have spouses that were fine with it, you know, I have soldiers that were fine with it, soldiers that were against it. Um, but I think, you know, hearing your opinion on it as a gold star wife is unique and important. 
So how do you, how, you know, how have you felt since, you know, do you still feel the same as in those initial moments? I do. Yeah. I still feel the same. Yeah. And now you've got a job that is in American oil, right? Exactly. I work in the oil field in South Texas. Why did you start doing that? Because I believe in American drilled oil by Americans and we have plenty of oil uh, in America to sustain our energy needs and we do not need to be dependent on foreign oil. You put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> you bet. Yeah. So, you know, back to the Crisscrossing Foundation, you know, what you're doing with that. What, how important is it in the advancement of the work to bring in a solid board of directors and solid surrounding people? How important is that to, to the foundation? Well, I've always been a very independent, I can do this by myself kind of person. But <laughs> Really? You don't strike me that way. Really? <laughs> no, you didn't, definitely do. <laughs> um, but it just got too big. Yeah. Everything got too big and people were saying, let us help you. And I didn't know if their vision was going to be my vision. Right. And come to find out it is. That's always scary though, right? Kind yeah. of releasing some of that to someone else. Yes, yeah, like, so I had to let go. Yeah. And uh, we have a board of directors of seven. Wow. And wow. Are they ever awesome? What do they do? What are their, all their roles? Well, we have a treasurer, we have secretary, we have director of events, director of vendors, uh, director of volunteers. Um, so they help organize all the different sections. And we come together uh, and we meet. And, and then on the day of, the, our, of our big event, it's just awesome to see everybody taking care of everybody all the business and never had this happen before, before I had the board of directors where I could actually get on a horse and ride a horse yeah. with these kids. Wow. And now I can. Yeah. Now you can actually take that extra time. I did. And it was awesome. And that board of directors that I have are awesome because I know that I could not do this without them. You know, it's interesting for me because I think it was about two or three years ago that I really, you know, kind of, brought some team members in and, you know, marketing director and he's soon going to be the CEO because I don't like the business stuff at all. <laughs> I hate it. I hate talking to companies about sponsoring veterans for the project and, you know, podcast sponsorships, even though I believe in the work fully and I don't have any problem doing it. It's like very good to have somebody there who can have that emotional disconnection and be like, hey, Tim, they didn't just tell you your work sucks. <laughs> they just can't do it. You know, like, right. you know, like having him, he's my best friend, Blake. But he he does an incredible job with the work. But his emotional disconnection from it is like very important. And then having an assistant and like having all those things, like initially adding those things in, it was like, oh, this is gonna take so much time. But in reality, it's like freed me up to do a lot I of know, stuff. And you have to let go of some of it. And people are really good at what they do. They mm -hmm. have certain areas where they're really good at what they do, and you way stronger to, than us in those areas. You have to let them do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've learned that with uh, you know so many times with kind of releasing that control yes it's always a risk because yeah you could get some scumbags it can happen but you know the important thing is in releasing that control with people that you learn to trust there's a real process of growth there and the free it frees you up to do the creative thing that you need to do which this is an art i mean what you're doing is art um you know you're you're teaching these kids to be around these animals and creating that powerful connection and that's a that's a process you know what these kids tell me? I will always remember this. I will always remember the first time that I touched a horse. <laughs> and kids that come here, some of them say, I rode a horse once. 
And it was at this place at this time I rode this horse and this horse, the horse that I rode wasn't this nice, but even adults come here and they tell me, I remember the first time I ride a horse. Right. So people always remember the first time they rode a horse. I, I remember the first time I rode a horse. See? Yeah. Told you. I had an allergic outbreak though. <laughs> <laughs> All Texans that listen to this podcast are like, I am no longer listening to the Veterans Project podcast. <laughs> Tim is allergic to horses. Hey. He is not one of us. <laughs> but I love him still. I love him. I know. You, <laughs> you saw me petting him earlier. And I'm like, I earlier? might blow up. I don't know. We're going to take a chance. <laughs> Look at you. You're still good and I'm, you pet I, I'm him. I'm alive and standing. <laughs> yeah. So with Crisscrossing Foundation, what are the goals of you know the of the work as you move along? What do you really see for Crisscrossing in the next five to ten years? Well, I do not want the audience of Gold Star families to continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's of a club you don't really want to belong to. No, but I would like to see us branch out into helping veterans more PTSD. Uh, Right now, our focus is on Gold Star families. Mm -hmm. So we're also have welcome in families of fallen first responders. Okay. So we grow a little bit at a time. So I do have some veterans that are interested in coming out here. So um, we kind of brought some out here with reunions, Mm -hmm. Uh, a group that uh, were together in Bosnia. They came out here and had a reunion and they rode the horses. So there's some other ones that are considering having reunions out here. So as we continue to grow, I think that we're going to wrap our arms around more veterans with PTSD. So, you know, one question that I have for you, you know, you've obviously you've gotten remarried, um, you know, to Daryl and he's a pretty nice guy. (laughs) (laughs) He interrupted our podcast, but we'll forgive him. He's Um, a keeper. (laughs) He's a keeper. How, that's such a tough thing, you know, stepping into that world, uh, you know, stepping into the world of a gold star wife (laughs) and accepting that there are still going to be hard days and she's going to struggle with that. And guess what? You're probably like never going to be number one in the heart because she's going to always be, she's still going to have that guy in her head, you know? Yeah, well, it it is. And it just makes him more extraordinary because he deals with it and he deals with it very balanced. He's rooted and he's confident and he's helpful and he accepts everything that is thrown my way. You know, I, I could be at the, cemetery laying wreaths on graves none of this stuff intimidates him yeah. he, he just wants to help it takes a special kind of man doesn't it gosh it that. does yeah. and i uh, can tell you this they're few and far between <laughs> and, and he is very special in that respect because he does deal with all of these things and you know he could have married somebody else did it and have this world attached to them right but then he wouldn't have a special of a lady <laughs> if you say so Tim <laughs> what you know what would you tell what would you tell to somebody stepping into that world you know somebody you know a husband or wife you know meeting someone as a gold star you know you spouse have, you have to be open yeah you have to be open but you have to be confident in your relationship that you're not going to let any of these things bother your relationship right yeah you know that's that and that's tough it's easy to say tough to do right it it could be with somebody who you know was skeptical uh, but, uh, the individual is gone, mm-hmm. uh, but he served our country Yeah, and he's never going to be forgotten. 
And if uh, an incoming spouse can't handle that, then they're going into the wrong marriage. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> because you got, you got a whole nother package, <laughs> you know, whenever you're, you're married to, to a widow of fallen military. Definitely. Yeah, you know, because the military is always going to be around. Right, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And there's going to be people who make sure that that fallen military is never, ever forgotten. Yeah. What do you think, what would you tell a spouse, you know, who is new to this world, you know, just lost someone? Obviously, you know, with the wars going on in other places, you know, guys are still dying. Guys are still getting killed. Um, you know, not as much so, but still happening. What would you tell, uh, you know, a new gold star wife who's just, you know, beginning the grieving process? Well, it's happened. Yeah. Where new gold stars come into our group. Wow. And I just hold their hand and say, I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry that you belong to this group because this isn't a group that people want to belong to. And we try to help them. But, you know, like if they have questions about what to do with investing, uh, money that they get, um, with SGLI, you know, we can help them with that. We can help them by understanding that everybody's going to come out of the woodwork and ask for their money Yeah, or ask to borrow money or will you give them money? Uh, because that happened to me. It's so sick. Well, Bo- that really happened. bothers me. It happens. Yeah. Yes. It's happened to a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes even their parents want the money. Um, wow. You know, we just try to help them buy the things that we faced that there was nobody really around to tell us back in 2007 what to do. Yeah. Uh, there was no survivor outreach services. These are things that all uh, have evolved because of the recent conflicts. Yeah. Um, but there was no survivor outreach services or, or other organizations or grief therapists. There's therapists for veterans who come back with PTSD, but no therapist, grief therapist for widows, but yeah. there are now. Yeah. You know, I think about the, the past of, you know, gold star families and like dealing with that and it's advanced so much, you know, the community has advanced so much, but like, you know, we were at the World War II Museum, me and my marketing director uh, in New Orleans, and like one of the plaques was like talking about uh, a guy who died on Tarawa uh, as a Marine in World War II, and he had just gotten married like a couple years before to like the love of his life, and there's a picture of him and her like on there, and you know, very powerful, moving picture. She did not tell the family that they got married so that they could keep the money. Wow. And they didn't find out until like 20 years later. Wow. <laughs> How crazy is that? But I just think about... Very selfless. Yeah, very selfless. But Soon also as... I'm like thinking, <laughs> you should have taken that money. <laughs> you know, like you you need that help. You've, you That's know, what you, they, yeah. they put your name on there for. But, right. Uh, I remember when they handed me a check and I threw it back at him. I said, that's blood money. I don't want that. Yeah. I'm sure you probably, you know, in the moment are furious that you... I was furious. Yeah. Can't imagine. I was mad for a long, long time. Yeah. How how do you get past that rage? Is it a time thing or is it it's just... time. Yeah. It just takes time. I think that's what you were pointing out earlier, you know, with, uh, you know, talking to these new Gold Star wives, you know, it's like, what can you say? You know, there's really nothing because everybody's experience is different, you know? I've I've talked to ladies that, you know, 10 years later, they still cry every day. And I've talked to ladies who, you know, five years later, emotionally, they've, you know, been able to handle it, you know, and they've been, and everybody handles it differently. It doesn't make you stronger or weaker. No, you just learn to live with it. And yeah. It's painful, but you just put that pain to, you just learn to live with it. 
Yeah. Sometimes you just become numb to everything. What and do you mean by that? It still happens. I mean, you know, like something could be a big old deal and you're just like, whatever. Yeah. The pain kind of. It's really weird. <laughs> you think the world should come to an to, to a stop. You think everything should just stop. But, you know, here you are burying your husband and trying to figure out what you're going to do with all of his personal effects. And it's, and people are just still going around doing stuff and celebrities are acting crazy and <laughs> stuff on TV is ridiculous. And, yeah. you know, that that's just, you just become numb to all that. It seems so small, all that Ugh. other stuff. You're like, what? What are you complaining about? Like, you it know, does. all the all the little things, and in that moment, but that perspective also makes you stronger. Um, I believe that. You know, I, I I think my you know that was one of the things I came back. I remember I had a moment where I was really angry. Some girl was complaining about her cell phone and like the fact that it wasn't moving fast enough. And it was at the theater. I just got back from Iraq and I told my dad. My dad was like, "You just can't expect everybody to have your perspective." So like he's like, even though that's even though it stinks to see that, you got to use that for good. Like use that for good. Use that to make other lives, other people's lives better by you know by telling our stories and being able to do that. And it's funny yes, now because you now with the Veterans Project, I'm able to do that. But I remember being so angry all the time. And part of, you know, my best friend from my unit, you know, killing himself, taking his own life and leaving two kids and a wife behind, instead of like taking that like negatively and just going into a hole and being depressed about it all the time, that's been my driving light for this work. Like stepping in, that's why I started the Caregiver Project was because of him. I had to step into those spaces with his wife and kids where I was photographing them in the same places I did his veterans project. And, you know, there, there's this one photo I took where uh, Nikki, his wife, and it says, baby, I'm coming home on the back of the door. He wrote it in Sharpie. Really? And, yeah. And, and, you know, he did he did come home, but he, you know, he lost the battle here. And, uh, you know, I remember talking to him uh, two or three times a week, you know, and it was just out of his mind, you know, and just, you know, just really heavily got heavily into alcohol and struggled with it. And seeing that struggle, you know, was, was hard on me because I knew him as this powerful, strong leader, you know, and then all of a sudden just to see his defenses broken down to see him, you know, feeling weak. You just want to say that right thing that pulls him out yeah. of it. And you can't. No, I mean, and I've had several of, of, of Chris's soldiers come back to me and talk to me and, and tell me they didn't want to live anymore. And one of them, I just pulled to the side and I said, let me tell you one thing. Mm -hmm. You made it home. Yeah. You make something of your life. You do something good and mm -hmm. you bring awareness. I don't care what it is you do, but do not tell me you want to die. Yeah. Don't talk to me about that. Yeah. And and he I think every one of those guys thinking that or thinking those things should have to come talk to someone like you. <laughs> I really do. I think that would like stop like 90% of the suicides. I really do, you well, know. You know I what? Mean, it stopped one of them. He yeah. came back and told me he goes, "You changed the way that I think." He said, wow. "Now I go and I work out instead of laying around getting fat." He goes, "I go out and I work out and I use I get my energy back." And mm -hmm. he goes, "You told me something that will stick with me forever." And I said, "I don't know exactly what it was that I said that'll <laughs> stick with you forever." I said, "But good." Yeah. Because let me tell you anything, there's a whole bunch of them that wish they were here today. Yes. And they're not. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And they would not want to be hear that soldier talk be hearing that soldier talk that way. And there's just way too much suicide. Yes. It's a massive problem. 
It is. I, I remember this uh, this past Kids Day, I, I asked this one young lady. She she came last year. She came this year. She's awesome. And I said, do you mind if I ask you a personal question? And I'm not that type of a person that does that. You yeah, know, I'm you don't strike business. me that way. Yeah. No. And I said, how did you lose your husband? She said, suicide. Mm. And I, I don't know, for some reason, I just knew she was going to say that. Yeah. Little girl. She was three years old when he took his life two years ago. Jeez. You know, now she's five. Yeah. And she just hears stories about him. And the thing is, is that pain never goes away. No. And if, if he would have thought more about his little girl and where she would be two years from now or three years from now and where he could be two or three years from now or five years from now, would he have done this? No. You know, and it's, they put up with so much and then. You know, they come back and 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 have to deal with people complaining about their cell phone not moving fast enough. It's <laughs> aggravating. It yeah. is. But you just have to take one day at a time and you have to look just like your dad told you, the perspectives are not the same. Yeah. You can't expect it to be the same. But that's the beautiful thing about us is we do understand. You understand. You have a heightened sense of respect for every fat part of life. You know? Exactly. And it takes death. Yeah. At times it takes death to to shake you to the core. Yeah. To realize what's important. Yeah. What what would you want people to remember most about Chris? Oh. <laughs> um that he was a caregiver he took care of so many and if it was going to their home and he'd walk over and look in their refrigerator and make sure they had enough food to eat and i remember wow. yeah he'd buy books for the ones that were going to schools um he just if you need a rocket launcher let me know (laughs) (laughs) i remember in iraq some of the dfat guys were going out into they were going out and chris was helping them saying what areas were hot and what they would need and you know just to be careful in certain areas and one of the dfat guys said that sarn kiernan could get us anything we needed if we told him we needed something he would go get it for us yeah he just knew a lot of people he had a lot of connections that's awesome because of the job that i had you know, I knew an, a lot of upper echelon military, a lot of the officers, and they would walk by or they'd go look for him because they knew he was my husband. And a lot of the other guys saw these generals and colonels coming, asking where he was and wanting to meet him and stuff because of the job that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, he, he was well thought of. And I mean, his death af- affected thousands of people. Yeah. Yeah. And And I don't think that that you can grasp that until it happens. I mean, you don't know who, who thinks the world of you and how many people back you and how many people miss you. And, mm-hmm. you know, the death, his death was, it was shook, shook a lot of people up. You know what though, Donna, I think that that's a real wake up call to how we treat people every day you it know? is Isn't you're exactly it? right yeah. it certainly is i get to, i just had a uh seven special forces group guy tell me that he said you know coming back from combat and he's done 15 deployments and he came back and he said yeah he came back and he said on his 15th he, he finally you know was injured too much and they finally forced him out you know after 22 years they just said you know when you've seen that much death you just realize how precious every day is and how you need to tell somebody you love them if you love them. You need to hug someone if you want to hug them. Yeah. You need to get past your stupid stubbornness 
and you know break down and get and and make that phone call. <laughs> yeah, when you're yeah, struggling, make that phone call yeah. and pass some kindness on. Yes, yes, more man. The world needs more of that. This country needs more of that. <laughs> Pay it forward. That's that's it. And I do notice that a lot about some that have come back and you know realize that trivial things are just that trivial. Yeah, very trivial. It's a difference in mindset for sure. It absolutely is. So you know, I, I wanted to ask you one more question. That's very important to this work, but you know, with you know holidays coming up, I'm sure you think about them quite a bit and, you know, and those, those times and, you know, kind of are markers in a lot of people's minds. What do you want people to remember most about you and your legacy and, you know, and, and what you bring into this world? And I know that's kind of a vague question, but I always say, you know, our legacies are the mission with this work and it is, you know, what, what, what do you want to have impressed upon people and what do you want them to say about you? Wow, that's a loaded question. <laughs> I think I just I share what I have, and I share what I have to for the for the greater good. Mm-hmm. If I feel like I have something good, I want to share it with others. That's how this came about. Yeah, and if I want them to remember something about me, it's I don't a tough know. one. It's not it, supposed to be easy. Yeah, that's <laughs> not easy. I guess that you know I. I, I I would like to be remembered as being a selfless person that just shared what whatever I had. Yeah. That that I felt was good. And and I think that people need to share goodness every day and, and make sure that you you smile and, and you greet people and you, you you just pass it on so so they'll pass it on. Yeah. It wouldn't it great if that was happening in large amounts everywhere. Yes. And I, for for the most part, I think it does because I do really feel sorry for people who are all caught up in trivial things and angry all the time, and you know that that just uh, abusive and stuff. I, I really do feel sorry for them. They're missing out on so much. Yeah, it's a rich life if they let it be. <laughs> exactly. You know, and, and and like you said, sometimes it takes experiencing death to realize that. You know, being around the military, realizing that sacrifice, not even death necessarily, but just seeing the consistent sacrifice that guys are making, you know, whether it's time away from home or, you know, being wounded or being killed, all those all of those things add up. And that's what I love the most about this community. That's what I love about doing the podcast, the blog is that I get to be around the most impressive people all the time. And so women like you, you know, are are most impressive to me because you didn't ask for it. Well, Tim, you're pretty impressive. <laughs> That's what I was fishing for. <laughs> I think you're impressive. That was it. I'm impressed. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I appreciate that a lot. But I, I feel like if you can't give something back, then what are you doing as a warrior, as a warfighter? You come back, you got taught all those incredible intangibles. Yes. Um, you know, being in an infantry company, being surrounded by the the um, honor, the dignity, the self-respect the integrity and then seeing all of that in the lineage of the men that came before me, oh, you know, yeah. Vietnam, Korea, World War II warriors, you know, and you're talking about dying in record numbers during those wars and, you know, completely changing the culture of men that were left in this country when they came back. I mean, you know, I think my grandpa's town, like a quarter of the men died, you know, during World War II. So like that, knowing that legacy I, I tell people all the time, I said, you know, I've gotten the 
privilege, or if you want to call it that, being around celebrities who care about veterans, um, you know, in, in different circles. And I never, I never, I don't ever feel anything uh, when I'm around them. But when I'm around the World War II guys, yeah. Oh my God. They're also. I feel like my skin's going to come off. <laughs> I get so many chills. You know, like yeah. you can't, because you know that they've seen so much death and so much pain. And yet they fought through that courageously and kept going. And, and and they did not, and most of them did not think they were coming home. No. They, they, they just thought, like, this is it, you know? I've made my final sacrifice by even being here. And so for them to come home was like a gift. But and now they, they're living to be 100. Yeah. <laughs> and now they have this amplified sense of life, though, Donna. Like, they are the most happy people I've ever they met. They are, and very grateful people. Yeah. But you take a, you take a, you know, a Japanese machine gun pin, pinning you down for 10 straight days, you know, you're gonna, you're like, oh man, I just, I, all I need is a bed and I'm good. Like nobody's, <laughs> you know, I think Paul Merriman said it to me, the Iwo Jima Marine, he said, hey, he said, you know, I might've had a $240 million company, but the best thing about my life was getting to pull my covers over my head and no, I wasn't going to get shot at. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's special. That's a that special perspective. Special. Yeah. It, that is very simple yet. Profound. Very powerful. Yes. 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 Well, Donna, is there anything that you know you want to kind of put out there as far as the the website and your social media? It's Crisscrossing Foundation, right? It's Crisscrossing Foundation. Mm-hmm. Our website is crisscrossing.com, and that's Chris C H R I S, and then Crossing is with spelled with a K. Okay. K R O S S I N G. How do you decide com. on the name for that? Because it's Chris Kiernan's initials. Okay, gotcha. And I say this is a place for where people gather and our, our paths continue to crisscross forever. Mm, that's cool. And then you, you guys, do you guys have an Instagram or a Facebook or? Yes, Facebook is Crisscrossing Foundation. Okay. But remember to spell crossing with a K. <laughs> I'll make sure they'll remember or, or, or I'll threaten their lives. Because <laughs> that's how important it is to me. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah. And it, it feels right that we're doing this on, you know, Giving Tuesday, even though, it won't, you know, it's not coming out tonight. It is cool that we get to do this on Giving Tuesday. Yes, it is. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for letting me have this opportunity. Well, I, I appreciate you. I don't, I don't see it that way. I see it as my opportunity to get to spend time with people that I feel like, you know, chills being around because you have given the ultimate sacrifice in your life and, you know, giving your spouse to our blood wall that contributes to our freedom. That security blanket that we have is because of men like Chris being willing, because guess what? In war, someone's going to have to die. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. And so if those, those that don't contribute to the blood wall need to appreciate those that do. And believe me, I do. I, I appreciate those men. Whether the war is right or wrong or whatever, I know that he was fighting for the brotherhood. Exactly. And I believe the same thing. Mm-hmm. And the brotherhood was what I was over there for, too. I love those men. You know, every day I take a bullet for them, but, you know, happily. Never had to, but I feel blessed to have this life. So. Well, it's a, it's a brotherhood that a lot of people don't understand. No. You can't understand unless you're a part of unless it. Unless you're a part of it. Yeah. Well, Donna, it's been a real privilege to have you on. Uh, just remember, everybody, the website, uh, crisscrossingfoundation.com, right? It's crisscrossing.com. Crisscrossing.com. I just messed it up. That's okay. And Facebook is Crisscrossing Foundation. Okay, Crisscrossing Foundation. All right. Well, Donna, it's been a privilege to have you on. Uh, we love our Gold Star Wives, and we are very thankful for you. And uh, don't forget that our legacies are the mission. This has been the Veterans Project Podcast with our founder, Tim Kay. 
check us out at www.thevetsproject.com, on Instagram at The Veterans Project, Facebook The Veterans Project, and Twitter at Project underscore Veteran. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, our legacies are the mission.